All right. Good evening. Welcome to the Big Issues podcast. I am Dowd Khan. And in this episode, we're going to talk about ending the housing crisis. Um, let's, we're going to talk about basically what is contributing to the problem within the housing crisis. Is it one of regulatory issues? Is it due to the privatisation of social housing? Is it due to a lack of social housing? And how do we fix these issues? So let's begin. Yeah. James, does my audio sound muffled? Sounds all right. Does it sound clearer than like two weeks ago? I would say so. Good. Because last week was so horrendous. It, it was uh, fine to me though. I could hear you fine. Yeah, was that the last week was the cabinet episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, the cabinet episode went fine. Last week, here's how I sounded. Like that. Transferring. <laughs> Inelegantly, from a sedentary mm. position, uh, but I can hear myself this time. So yeah, uh, let's begin. So we're going to talk about ending the housing crisis this week. Yes, um, yeah. this another one of our totally ideas of episode. By the way, I will do a rerun of the stimulus episode, talking about uh, how to do a stimulus properly. Because I, if I had to listen to myself back for an hour and a half, mumbling incoherently, I don't know how the listeners could put up with me. I mean, the listeners could barely put up with me when I'm not mumbling incoherently. God knows how they tolerate me when I was mumbling like, well, you mean the stimulus like, I mean, what the hell was that? But I, I can hear myself and I do sound clearer. And if I don't sound clear this week, I'm going to feel like how Labour must have felt in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> What can we do? Right. Okay, so let's begin. Um, yeah. Both of us got coffee. What we're going to do this week is different. We're going to outline the reasons the housing crisis exists. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to look at questions on how to resolve it. And then we're going to have our own plan on the housing crisis. But for those yeah. who have been long-standing listeners to our podcast will know that even when we're outlining the reasons, we're still showing our solutions anyways. Yeah, yeah. Which to James often involves more spending, more bureaucracy, and more taxes, and to me involves more spending, less bureaucracy, less taxes, more government social housing, and deregulation. Interesting, because Dowd seems to me that the financial crisis. Oh, so, sorry, I coughed there, man. What? What about the financial crisis? Go on then. Well, oh, wasn't it? Wasn't it the exact reason? Wasn't gambling people people's mortgages? Oh, deregulation no, no. of the banks, Dowd. Well, no, no. Um, well, partly yes. But yes, also partly, okay, but Dad wants to bring it back to the Stone Age. But partly because there wasn't enough banks. When you have... So, wait, so, so, your, so your solution to fixing the housing crisis is to create more banks? No, no, no. We're talking about the financial crisis here. I'm saying oh, with the financial okay. crisis, the problem was there were only six banks that practically ran the world economy. If you had 6,000 banks, then if three banks had collapsed, would it have made them much damage? No. Mm. And there were many failures of that of the financial crisis. We could go off failures on the left and failures on the right. All right, failures on the left include a failure to nationalise failing banks, a failure to regulate the banks properly, uh, ending leverage limits, uh, allowing Alan Greenspan to run regulatory policy, even though he said he doesn't believe in regulations, and mm. failure on the right being 
too lack of competition, too much taxation, over-regulatory burdens on banks, not consumer uh, regulatory burdens, but as well administering administration type of regulatory burdens, and not enough uh, room for small community banks to develop. There weren't enough small community banks to be allowed to develop because of the zealot regulations that allowed us to go on to the big six. So there are it's left and right. It's not just right or left. Wasn't there lots of community banks during the Great Depression? Uh, no, the, the community banks came after the Great Depression. Due after, to the, I don't yeah, before, yeah. There were some, but um, a, a vast, vast majority of community banks developed because of the Glass-Steagall law, mm. which put, you know, because it put limits on the amount of money people could have in a bank, etc. Therefore, you encouraged people to set up small uh, community banks where people could put, you know, the equivalent of about £10,000 in rather than 500,000. Oh, okay. I think that sort of okay. model's interesting. Uh, but we're not talking about the banks. That's for another time. Today we're talking about the housing crisis. So let's talk about that. So, right, like I said, go. we're going to address the reasons of the housing crisis. There are 10 reasons. We're going to talk about them and look at the questions and then come up with our own solutions. Yeah. All right, shall you start first then? Or shall I? I'll start. Wait, shall I start first or yeah. you should start first? I'll start first. Go on then, Dad. Right, so the reason, the first reason that we got was because of a lack of supply in housing. It's the old market thesis of if the demand is high but the supply is low, you're going to get a considerable rise in the price. And because we yeah. have had a lack of supply due to, in my view, four reasons. The first reason is due to regulatory planning procedures which have prevented people from building houses. The second is the monopoly, the private companies that developed on the uh, on house construction, not allowing social mm -hmm. homes to be built or so or uh, non-profit houses to be built, etc., which yeah. has caused this. A third reason the lack of supply is because there hasn't been enough public investment in the infrastructure of house construction since Maggie Thatcher privatized it in '84. That's mm -hmm. another huge reason. And the fourth is private monopolization of the house of ownership itself, which means that you have many private landlords who have bought flats and houses and leaving them vacant. Mm. So yeah. that, and, and therefore not giving them to people definitely needs a supply. So that's the four reasons there's been a lack of supply in housing. Well, I mean that. I mean that kind of links in to what what I would say with the lack of affordable housing as well. Because the mm. lack of supply, there will be an increase in demand, and increase in demand increases the price. And so there's a there is a nationwide shortage of affordable housing, particularly those below two thousand uh two hundred thousand pounds, not two thousand pounds, uh, two hundred thousand pounds, and uh and therefore it just drives people straight out the market. I mean, mm. the issue. Itself doesn't suit prop uh, uh doesn't suit property developers to build affordable housing due to the rise cost as it won't be able to sell for a high price. So the cost yeah. of building materials itself has actually gone up. So the fact that that's gone up, the price of the house to build will go up, and the fact that the price of the house of going to build come up is going to incentivize the builders and the construction and the construction companies and the property developers to make the prices of their houses higher because people will have to pay the higher price. Now correct. And then, and then, and this also does come, and it also because of the government's constant reduction of investment in social housing since 1984, with the exemption from 2006 to 2010, where there was some increases in social housing, 
uh, a major increase in social housing, shall I say. Uh, but apart from that, has led to a decline in social housing overall. And the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that because there's no social houses, be it as it may, because some some land is protected as it being on the green belt, which people can argue for and against. You can also argue about. You can also argue. Um, as Dad said earlier, that the big property developers are building really expensive houses on the land that is a, able to be built on, and not allowing any affordable housing to be put down. All of these issues itself comes with the fact that there is will be no, there's little to no affordable housing available for people to buy, uh, leading to a housing crisis itself. I think that's, I think that's absolutely very well, and I think that's all very well analysed. And I personally, I think it goes back to those factors and the four factors we just stated. But I think the key reason there's been such a lack of housing is due to lack of providers. You have a monopoly of, what is it, eight providers of housing in this country, maximum eight. Now, again, they have a monopoly, which means they can all co-network. It's not a monopoly, it's an oligopoly, Dad. Well, an oligopoly, oligopoly, yes, monopoly is one. All right, an oligopoly of housing construction. So once again, if you look at Germany, where they have 600 housing providers, why do German homes get built quickly? Because they can't be able to to conspire and prevent houses from being built. But it's also because there's not enough public oversight on these companies. That's a key reason. If there was better regulatory enforcement of the housing, say 200,000 homes must be built a year. But I think the key way of doing it is saying, we have to get to a point where say, one third of the revenue of these private constructors is done by the government. So if the construction company has say, I don't know, 10 million pounds of revenue, three and a third of which must be provided by the state. So therefore the state, the public investment is to such a degree that they then have uh, a say. So it can be like, you must build in in the country, say 50,000 homes this year, and we're not going to give you the next amount of investment until we see another 12,500 being built. So you split the 50,000 into four installments and you split the 3.3 million into four installments and you make the investment contingent on the houses being built. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I talk about regulatory uh, oversight enforcement, I think personally, yes, you need to deep, what you do, you need to split regulation of housing into two folds, the planning and the consumer. Consumer regulations on housing should be massively increased, not decreased, increased. We can't have people living in houses that have got damp or mould or yeah. that any time the electrical appliance goes bad, suddenly the rents get hiked twofold because of the stupidity of the landlord. So on those, we need like have a, like, sort of like a tenant's bill of rights, if you will. But on the planning side, we need a wave of deregulation. And yeah. by this, I do not mean that we should go into like local town centres and say, we will build homes here or go into like uh, farms and say, we will build homes here. But to say... Let us look at the current planning laws and ask why does it take people in Los Angeles, California, for instance, why does it take a company who wants to build houses there seven and a half years to get a hearing from the local authority? Why does that happen in Birmingham, where people have to wait, where a private company in Birmingham has to wait four years just to get a hearing from the authorities? Yeah, we need to Absolutely. reduce the bureaucracy and the regulation on the administrative side but strengthen it on the consumer side so the tenants get protected. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about tenant protection when it comes to mm. uh, 
I mean, and, I mean that links in itself, which we're going to discuss later about the rise of buy to let. Yeah. And tenants, tenants are just protected. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, and it and it all comes down to the fact that there is not a lot of regulation to protect uh, tenants, and that is a huge issue. Yeah. And if and if they were protected, the housing crisis would still be existing. I mean, due to the fact that nineteen eighty four pretty much has a decline in social housing. Not to be, the degree. Not, it, not to, not this to degree. the degree. Not to the degree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it wouldn't be to this degree if you were to make housing payments like income based. You would radically change the housing market. So you'll say, "Or oh, what do we do? Income based payments on student loans." In this mm-hmm. country, we have eight percent of nine percent of your income goes to your student loan. We have income based payments for that. Why don't make it fifteen percent for your house? Mm-hmm. You would change the market on its head. But James, tell us why there's a lack of affordable housing, and we don't mean the Tory definition, which is a house that's below five hundred thousand pounds. We mean below £200,000, so people can actually afford it, not their mates can afford it. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, one real reason is low interest rates. I mean, that is a mm. reason why there's a lack of affordable housing. You've mm. got, well, low interest rates, I mean, to, now they are going up in, in line of inflation to try and reduce that. But I think that'll have little effect considering it's a cost push inflation, but we'll gloss over the fact of that. And uh, whilst low interest rates have made access to credit considerably easier and therefore You're reading the wrong section, uh, you pillar. What do you want me to read? L- affordable housing. I read that one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh. Now I look like a complete melon. <laughs> Jace, read out goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> They sound like a civil servant. Shall we redo the paragraph, <laughs> Minister? All right. Go on, then. You did low, low interest rates, and I'll just go to buy to let in. Now, now, whilst low interest rates have made access to credit considerably easier, and therefore an ability to start businesses and buy homes easier as well, there has been a co-issue, which is it has allowed a dramatic increase into property speculation, uh, which has led to a massive uh, increase in house prices. Uh, also, also, it, it definitely, as Dal is presumably going to talk about next, it w- does contribute to the factor of the rise of buy-to-let as well, which, because more because interest rates are lower, it is easier for people to start going into that business, which is the buy-to-let um, system, which Dal would presumably talk to you now about. Well, but I mean, look, first of all, on the point of low interest rates, what caused the financial crisis in 08 was the huge rise of credit in access to credit due to low interest rates. Now, it, this is interesting, actually, because a lot of bad things happened due to good intention. And the 90s surpluses under President Clinton, 90, uh, the balanced budget in 97, then the surplus of 98, 99, 2000 and 2001, led to a massive decline of interest rates because the debt as a percentage of our GDP, American GDP was falling. Mm. Same in the UK. And we had, of course, because of Bank of England independence, which was a fantastic move, led to a decline in interest rates. So what happened? A massive increase in the access to credit. So people started to buy houses mm. and then sell them for a profit. And this is where the whole flipping houses stuff came from, which led to yeah. a decrease in demand, a spike in prices. And then when the bubble bursted, due to the collapse of Lehman Brothers in 2008, you had so many people who were owning properties but couldn't pay the mortgage because they found mm. that the value of the property was going down 
much more than they bought it for, and therefore they were on their yeah. knees. Yeah. On their knees, in my view, as a consequence of their own stupidity. Yeah. It was. They were, I mean, the, 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 the flipping of houses, in my view, was one of the dumbest things ever pursued in society, was the flipping of houses. It started off by the idea of expanding home ownership, which I'm absolutely for, but like every good intention, we we get too carried away. Well, the intention of flipping houses isn't to benefit, isn't to benefit the poorest. It's to benefit the middle class. It's to benefit people. It's middle class. It's a middle class thing. So, so what happens? You get maybe the upper classes or the middle, the higher middle class, and they'll buy a house mm. for I don't know, say say a hundred thousand pounds as an auction or whatever, which is run yeah. down and ever, and spend another two hundred thousand pounds, one hundred thousand pounds renovating it. And then selling it off for like five hundred, half a million, something, getting a hundred grand profit. Uh, so risky investment, obviously, because I mean, you never know what people are going to buy. You never know it could turn out the end. You never know what the actual cost will be. But when you put all this together, the house flipping market itself is a risky business to go into. And what it does is drives out any form of governments coming in to try and you know say, oh, these houses are run down. Let's see, let's see, would it be cheaper to renovate these houses and make it affordable housing? Or would it be cheaper to, you know, build an entire new, you know, uh, an entire new area up? And usually, most of the time, the government, the government don't have the option of saying, oh, can we renovate these houses and get, I don't know, 200,000, 100,000 people into houses across the country? But they can't do that. So what they have to do is they have to settle up, fine, we'll house 10,000 people in this small section of land that, that we can just build. And mm. it comes to the find with, with, with house flipping, what it does, it just takes away from any possible advantage of affordable housing being built, especially in areas that Correct. affordable housing exists. Correct. And I also say, you know, it also helped the working class a lot because in America you have the stated income loans, which are known as liar yeah. loans, where people who were driving you around in a taxi could say they were earning 250 grand a year. No one would check. They'd buy a house, flip it and make a profit. And yeah. I think the, look, this is why regulation is so key. Because if there were if there were actual background checks on the on the people who did the stated income loans, which was about seventy five percent of the people who bought these houses, yeah. you would not have given them the mortgage. Yeah. Even any basic standard of regulatory oversight would have prevented that from happening, and therefore the yeah. dominoes couldn't start to fall down very quickly. But with the yeah. rise of buy to let, now buy to let is a system where a person would buy a house with the sole intention of leasing it in the form of renting payments. Yeah. Right? So yeah. what this does, it in effect expands landlords on an industrial scale. Landlords mm. go through the roof because they can start selling houses to people. Now, yeah. here's the issue. The landlord, the tenant, if it's... Every time the mortgage goes up for the landlord, he has to hike the rent of the tenants. And if the tenants yeah. can't afford the rent, then the landlord's in a bit of a doodah because the tenant loses their property. The landlord has a vacant property with a huge mortgage on its name. But the reason this has become a popular policy is, in effect, a free market way of, of the government getting out of the way of ownership. Yeah. But my counter to that is, is why on earth would you support this system? It's a failure. The idea you can have landlords... And also, remember this. If the individual, the tenant, is spending so long paying the rent, he's not got enough... They've not got enough money 
to save for the deposits, which means they can't yeah. become an owner. Yeah. And, and then they're also, stuck and... in the cycle of dependency and the cycle of being of being beholden to somebody. And again, if you you notice the phrase the cycle of dependency, you know, the people like me who are basically centrist social marketeers with broad letter center sympathies who believe in welfare reform as passionately as I do, we can't on the one hand say we believe in welfare reform to break the cycle of dependency, but on the other hand say we believe in the buy-to-let system, even though we know it encourages more dependency than welfare does. Mm. Yeah. I mean, hey, I, I would completely agree. I would think the buy-to-let system is... Um, you could, you could. I mean, people can argue it might be good things, uh, but I mean, what it does, it targets the lower and working classes. It, it targets does. them because the cheaper houses to buy, the cheaper yeah. houses to renovate, the cheaper houses to put, and they're also more likely to get snapped up because there is a housing crisis. People want a house now. You get the situation of where you would have these tenants, these landlords, buying all, literally on an industrial level scales, as you said, now buying. A new renovation, they buy up 90% of it because they can afford to. They can afford to buy 90% of that new housing market. 10% goes straight into the market and people buy that house is 10% of that. But 90% of that, those houses will be owned by landlords, be owned by, uh, uh, will be owned by, uh, you know, whoever. And it won't be actually owned by the person living in the house. And and that's and that happens loads of times in new developments. You get roughly about 90% of people in new developments, 80, 90% living in technically somebody else's house because they could because they can't afford to you know say to the big to the big uh, company uh, the big um, uh, company to make uh, build the houses here you go here's I they can't compete with the landlords what I'm trying to say and so then what happens is that these people have to rent these houses and then they can't whilst they're renting the houses they are basically paying an effective mortgage they are buying the house for the person and. Um, and basically what's happening here is that because they are effectively paying their mortgage to not own this house, they can't afford to go and go to the bank and say, can I have a mortgage for this house? Because all their money's been put away trying to rent this house. And it comes and it comes to this it comes down to the fact of the matter is is that if it was targeting people who could afford it, if it was targeting people who, you know, might rent this house for a holiday home every so often, or do this, do that, that's fine. But what it's come down to now is that Families of like six, seven, eight, now living in a terrace house, which has been snapped up by one of the richest people in the area in the country, and saying, "I'm going to buy this," and there's nothing anybody can do about it. You can't compete with my prices, and then I'm going to rent it out for you for an extortionate amount. And it's the only place where these people can go. So it ends up with the fact of nobody, the, the working class and like the working class and the lower middle class and everybody like this are getting to the point where. They can know it's come to the point where people can't afford to buy a house outright, which is one of the core principles people want. They want to buy a house, mm. they want to commit to that life, they want to commit to whatever and buy a house. And it's come to the point where because there's so rich, so many rich people buying up these cheap houses, these affordable houses which people can afford, um, what they're doing is basically driving up the prices everywhere else and in turn making it basically impossible for anybody to own a house, especially if you're working class. I think that's absolutely right. I think the decline in the culture of ownership. I mean, I mean, we could all, me and you could do a, a thesis on this, which is how is the decline of ownership of cars or houses 
or the right to work your own hours or the right to have a stake in your child's education? How yeah. has the decline in control and ownership led to the decline of the free society? I mean, we don't live in a free society. This is a controlled society. It's controlled by business people. It's controlled by the market. And a free... Look, what people forget is this. In a, in a rational capitalist system, and I'm a capitalist, in case I haven't said that 55 times on the podcast before, is that you would encourage a person on, say, 35000 a year to show his means and to work with him for the state or for the, the tenant or, sorry, the landlord to work with him so he can become an owner. As Richard Nixon said, the role of government is to ensure that people become owners and managers and not just workers. We have too many people in our society, especially through the Buy to Let initiative, that are being dependent as workers, not as owners and managers, to use business analogy. And yeah. because no one's ever understood the depth of the issue, we're content with the status quo. Now, the left say build more council housing. Well, that might be part of the solution, but that's just going to create a bunch of people dependent on the government. And then the right say, build more private homes, which is basically an expansion of the buy-to-let model, which has created the cycle of dependency. Mm. And therefore preventing yeah. working-class people and middle lower-middle-class people from ever owning their own property because they're so dependent mm. on the owner. And I think that, that's what the and that's the failure of buy to let because that's what it encompasses, along with the extremely high prices we have now for the houses, which are far too high. It encourages a cycle of dependency, and the role of government has to not just be improving schools and hospitals and build and having a better transport system and balancing the budget, though it must do all that. It is to ensure its people are self sufficient. Yeah. That if there are people who cannot be self-sufficient because of disability or age, then that's different. And of course, we are a civilized society. We look after people, but it is to encourage a cycle of self-sufficiency, whether by ending links with the public sector or ending links with the private sector, and to encourage that person to do whatever is possible to get that person on his own two feet. And if the state needs to look after him, so much the better. If the government can be a friend, advisor, a sister and a provider but it does not need to own that person's life the exact same with private enterprise yeah it can do a lot and i'm not saying the government or enterprise has no role it has a very large role and it should have a large role but the, the role shouldn't become so great that the individual cannot exercise what he'd like to do yeah absolutely now i sound like a crank you do dad how, how is that a cranky opinion and you just sound like one anyway, no matter what your opinion is. Yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> just the natural downtown. Yeah, I, I sound like a, I have too much Buckley for my own good. But, <laughs> but hey, anyone who disagrees with me, what's your alternative to this problem? As Ross Pro says, give me your alternative rather than just giving me your protest. Uh, I would talk about the rise of foreign investment, but I'll just say that the rise of Russian and Chinese entrepreneurs investing in UK properties has led to a massive increase in housing prices, mm. which was incidentally yeah. seen in the new Labour years. Yeah. Where house prices went from, what, £59,000 to now, 
by the end of Cameron's best term to about just over £250,000. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about the demographics. Now, I think yeah. this, this is actually a very big problem. Is the dem is the fact we yes we uh, live in the aging society and we have more people living older, and that's due to the wonders of modern medicine. And unless we're going to, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, no, no, we know. cannot kill the elderly. <laughs> no, I was going to say unless no, I was going to make a book a Bill Buckley joke, but I'm not going to make that joke. I was going to say unless we're going to decline the growth in elderly people, which we can never do. There is nothing we can do. We're going to have people now living till they're a hundred or a hundred and five. Mm, by, yeah. by that I mean, by the by the start of the of the fourth quarter of this century, so twenty seventy five, I would not be surprised if we had people living till a hundred. So what that means is, is when housing, you have elderly people living in properties that are much bigger than what they require, five bedroom properties. But because they paid off their mortgage, the bank can't foreclose on the property. They can't repossess it. It's their property. Yeah. So as a result, you have a, a, a shortage in, uh, in, 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 in houses, in good quality houses, in four-bedroom properties, because it has been taken up and not going to be uh, sold. And then as a result of this, you then have apartments, one bedroom, two bedroom, particularly within our cities. I was in Leeds the other day and I was in Manchester the day before that. And it seems they're all following Richard Daly's thesis of building the sky blocks into the tower blocks into the heavens. That's how high they are. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've done. We've condemned people into these small flats. Yeah. And, and now we're told by the media, this is a good thing. That we're condemning people into these small properties. Why? Mm. Why can't people live in nice houses? I mean, people then say, ah, but how can you be a socialist? There is nothing unsocialist or unsocial democratic about saying poor people should have nice things. No. Why is it people on the left seem to support ideas that restrict the poor? That's the right's job. That's, <laughs> punish, punishing poor people is what right-wing people have been sent on this earth to do that is literally their only purpose it's our purpose to empower them to tell them that yeah. they are to give them the tools to make good of their own lives and if well, they never, fail governments help them another yeah. and, and another another thing to mention about the demographic changes though yeah is um is that because of an aging population and more people living longer and longer, as you said, you wouldn't be mm. and I again wouldn't be surprised if you get people living to hundred years old by mm. twenty seventy five. People just constantly living that long. Well, it's like the cure for Alzheimer's now, isn't it? They found a cure. Yeah, that it's coming out. Yeah, radically not, limits. Not, not, they, haven't, they haven't entirely found the cure, but they're finding they're getting to they're no. getting close to the cure. They found an intermediary cure, which doesn't cure yeah. Alzheimer's, but it significantly reduces, it reduces the erosion the of memory. Yeah, yeah. If I'm right Absolutely. about that. Yeah, I, you know? I, I, I think that's basically. I'm no doctor, so I wouldn't be able to actually tell you exactly what happened. But I, I think it's about no, that. But you, what, but you are, but you're an intelligent person. You have an intelligent yeah. understanding of news. Yeah. So, but I think I think with this aging population, what you usually yes. have though, as um, is that you would have you would have like you know, the child, uh, the parents or the the the, the parents who are elderly dying at the age of maybe seventy five, eighty yeah. years old. And yeah. then what would happen is that usually majority of the time they would leave their inheritance to the children. And their children mm. would move into that house. 
Mm. And it would be passed down for generations. I know, uh, mm. and I know, and I know some friends who who been who live around uh, live around us who oh. had this house for like four generations or something ridiculous. How has the death tax contributed to this problem? Oh well, the inheritance tax indeed. You're getting charged to live in your own house now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know <laughs> the death tax. Great problem. But don't you think also the fact that we have not the fact that mass house construction as we know it, it's like the type of houses that you and I live in. That construct oh, shit, gentlemen. I put my laptop on the fl- up on, on the other side of my bed. It flipped. It's okay. It's all right. Um, how has the construction of big houses led to a pro- this problem? Because in my view, you know, the houses you and I live in are much better than the, than the flats we see in the cities. So has the expansion? You know, after the war, we created new towns, right? Yeah. And the yeah. new towns became these massive expansions where people could build housing. But yeah. now we've got cities like Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, Cardiff, London, etc., which are excuses just to build flats. Mm-hmm. And this well, is I the mean, problem. This is I the mean, problem the because are, it goes back to are. culture. You know, why is it we've restricted planning laws to this extent where we can't build houses anymore, or at least not on the scale that we used to 20 years ago, but instead we like to build square boxes where people can live in them? Well, the, the rules are, the rules are, people want to, people want to live in cities. And, and it's just it's just a fact that we increasingly urbanization population. Really? I mean, I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the facts, I mean, basically what's happened is that since since the 1980s, we've had more and more people moving to urban areas. It's just people been, no, 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 no. The great migration from rural to urban and urban to city has occurred because of a lack of transport links, a lack of private enterprise and a lack of opportunities in towns and rural areas. Well, the thing is, okay, if well, Manchester, anyway, anyway. if Bolton and Lee and Wigan were twenty percent as vibrant as Manchester would, and have this, about one fifth the opportunities that Manchester has, would people move to Manchester from Bolton? No, they would not. It is because of bad management from local authorities and private mm. enterprise and strict regulation well, and strict taxation that we have seen people move to the urban areas. Yeah. Well, I'll this just, is the I'll reason. Just, I'll just use I'll just I'll just use London as an example of this. Ah, uh, go on. London. Okay, London is basically, it's basically completely urbanised, isn't it? You, you can't, yeah. there's not much room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, well, people still want to live. Uh, elements of South West You're not going to build up, mostly, you're, not yes, gonna, mostly. you're not going to build up, and, and basically what I'm trying to say, you're not going to build up St. James's Park, where all these parks are. You're going to leave no, them. No, 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 no. No, no, no absolutely. Uh, rightly, so, rightly, you wouldn't yeah, rightly. Yeah, so, 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 so you're left, so you're left with basically the rules of, the rules of, of building a house or building a city, that, that you can't expand your build up. And they can only build up, and building up involves mm. flats, like you, like you say, because and people, and it's because people want to go to London because of the lack of transport links, because of the lack of things. And I, I, I agree, I agree with that point. If that if Bolton had a fifth of the opportunity London got given, n- very little people would want to move from Bolton. And there's mm. still get some, but you'd well, there's always exceptions to the rules and all that. But basically, very few. Of, yeah, very few. Uh, but because London is so rich, it is so. And I'm appealing to people or whatever to go and live to, and there's literally zero to no room left to expand outwards because it's surrounded mm. by the green belt, yeah, countryside and stuff like that. You can only build up. Now the issue, the issue, the issue in itself isn't the fact of the flats, the flats being built. It's the quality of the flats that are being built. You have very nice flats, totally very nice flats all over. You have very nice flats in Manchester. You have very nice flats in London. You have very nice flats in pretty much every major city in the in the country. But what mm. you do not have is, but what you do have in London 
and in Manchester and in Liverpool and in Birmingham and wherever you want to name it, yeah, mm. is flats like Grenfell. They're yeah. the issue. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the issue that needs to be tackled. And it's flats like that that get that don't that get built and then get left alone. No and the worst happens, part is and the own. worst part is if you look at the for example, the aftermath of Grenfell, where not only due to the incompetence of private provision did the did the flats burn up, it was also because once then the government said, post Grenfell, the Theresa May government said, we're going to now uh, have to get private providers who built these accommodations to actually put fireproof cladding, sprinkler systems, etc., yep. so they can be safe. What did they then say? We're, because we're too cheap to hammer that burden on us, we're going to stick that on the tenants and make them pay. Yeah. 50, 100, 150,000 pounds because yeah. private provision was too useless. I mean, and the thing, and the thing is, the thing is, in this, in this again, was, in this was again, the that's the society. failure of the state. That's it's, the failure um, of the state. The state did not adequately regulate these private providers to say, in building these accommodations, you must have fireproof cladding you must have good yeah. electrical appliances you must have sprinkler systems so if it, and you must have clear accessible fire exits if they'd done those four provisions would grenfell have happened probably not no so again it goes well, back to the issues of the state being useless and constantly trying to bootleg private enterprise and yeah. private enterprise putting away the most basic provisions to make more money for shareholders well, absolutely, and it, and it basically and it, and it comes out. It comes down to one of those questions: is the forgetfulness of the governments equals the advantage of the advantage taken by the private sector? Mm. And the government, the governments. I don't think if it knew Grenfell would happen, would ever in a million years pass the laws that it did. Um, well, but it didn't. For, it didn't foresee. It didn't foresee uh, Grenfell as a as a tragedy happening. And I don't think anybody mm. foresee that happen. But I, guess I think. Some I think. Have. I think the governments that believes you should take away one third of housing benefits if your child dies and leaves a spare yeah, bedroom. True, true. Yeah. And a yeah, government true, that point, deliberately yeah. did universal credit and structured it in a way that there would be delays in benefits, knowing that as well, would that government do that? Knowing that Kensington Probably. and Chelsea Council is a Tory council and the richest in the country, I wouldn't be surprised. Mm, yeah, but I mean the fact the fact the fact of the matter is when it comes to stuff like that is that the poorest in society, the people who live in flats like Grenfell, the people who live in the flats made cheaply for the fastest amount of housing given for the cheapest amount of money, they have to burden the cost. I don't think hasn't there a law been passed saying now that the private have to pass it? Yeah, the, what they have to do now is the private sector has to take on most of the cost and they have to make the yeah. rest of the cost either income-based or just part of a rent increase rather than okay. making it one massive bill. That was well, the I mean, by a man called Michael Gove. Gove <laughs> has done something right. My God, hell hasn't... Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's still ridiculous. I mean, it's still ridiculous that they have to pay oh, for yeah. it in the first place. Yeah, But, yeah. I mean, it's, be it's, be it's, be it's better than what Theresa May proposed. But hmm. uh, but when it comes when it comes to the fact is that these are the poorest in society having to pay extra for a house that wasn't built properly in the first place. If you if you if you if you walk if you walked into I don't know your workplace and, and realized and realized that the I don't know that the wall was collapsing, you're not going to go and say, oh, you know, it's a fire hazard or whatever. You're not going to say, hmm, do you know what? I'll take a pay cut so you can afford this. You're going to sue the workplace, aren't you? You're going to do that. And the fact and the and I'll come down and I'll come to this point in a second when when we propose our own ideas. 
is that we should, that the tenants of these houses like Grenfell, these flats and all of this, all of these people should have the legal obligation to say to, to, say to the, the builders of it, you made this unsafe. Be it, be, be it by accident or on purpose, most likely on purpose, but I don't want to get defamation claims. But basically what's happened is that it has resulted in death. And the fact that these people and the loss of their houses and the fact that these people can't go and say, do you know what? It's your fault. You're the one who built these houses, blah, blah, blah. It got, I'm pretty sure it got cancelled in like a Supreme Court or a high court where they couldn't sue the, where they couldn't sue the thing and they got appealed or something happened. I can't remember exactly what happened. But it comes to the fact that if you, you can't hold these uh, property developers accountable and that's ridiculous and that's the greatest issue is that there is such lack of and again this goes back to the lack of regulation for the consumer the consumer has such a lack of power and lack of regulatory on their side that a a private provider can put allow mold to develop in a person's flat knowing a family is living there a family with young children is living there and the government knew this and shrugged their shoulders. And it took the death of a two-year-old kid before the government regulated it. Yeah. And, and this is where I got very angry, because I think, you know, that's the issue of private reg- of regulation, of regulatory enforcement, is yeah. that they have such stupid enforcement of regulations on planning, but yet when the tenant needs assistance, it's, nope, on your own. It's like, you, did you watch uh, season two of Clarkson's Farm? Yes. Right. Do you know when Jeremy wanted to build his uh, his restaurant? Yeah. And the council said, you can't because it's an area of natural beauty. Yeah. James, it was a manure site. <laughs> it was a site filled with manure. How is that an yeah. area of natural beauty? It's a dump. Yeah. And And again, this is the failure of of local governments, the failure of politicians, because their refusal and ignorance of problems makes them such a stupid... It's like, okay, take the towns. Why are the town centres decaying? Three reasons. One, parking restrictions. If you deregulated yellow lines across town centres, just deregulate them. Get rid of most of them. You would see people coming to them. Secondly, if you got small business rates away from this stupid, mad Victorian system and to a 10% flat rate across the board. Thirdly, if you then said, if you're making annual increases in productivity, we, the government, will invest in so heavily in your business that within five years, one third of your revenue will be public investment. Yeah. You will ensure the small businesses will revive. But we don't do that. We have planning restrictions we have parking restrictions we have a tax burden so high we have regulations which again favor bureaucrats not people not the consumer mm. and again yeah. and, and, and this is the failure of capitalism capitalism should what was capitalism as adam smith defined it as john stuart mill defined it helping small people succeed that was in The Wealth of Nations that Adam Smith wrote. He said it's about helping the small individual become successful. That worked. That is the root of <laughs> capitalism. That, well, it, it did work for a time. That was the Industrial Revolution. That was what mm. the revolution was, is that you had small businesses becoming large factories. And then exploiting the small people. 
well, quite, but that's because the government didn't regulate until the mid-19th century to early 20th century on workers' mm-hmm. provisions because the unions yeah. weren't as prominent then. That's part yeah. of the reason. Um, but that was when capitalism thrived. And if capitalism is to thrive today, as a capitalist, I hope it does, it has to rethink and focus more on the small entrepreneur, the S- the small and medium enterprise, and not just the big monopolies at the top. Yeah. And Absolutely. I think this is where this is where the left can actually have a good input on this debate because the left seems to think, let's spend the money, but let's not think of a way of creating more money. My thesis is let's have a dynamic free market economy to create the wealth and a socialist government to spend the wealth. Oh, you have both... two governments. No, 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 no. You have two philosophies. You have a philosophy of low tax, consumer regulation, not planning regulation, and a focus on entrepreneurship so we can create lots of wealth. And then a social conscience to know we have a national health service needs rebuilding, schools that need rebuilding, we, are, we need to rebuild more social housing, etc. We need to relink our transport town to town, village to village, not just city to city. To city. And yeah. then you need a socialist government to say, that's our job to fix. But we'll let the market produce the wealth so we, we'll have a role in the market. We'll be far more active than we are now. But we're going to let them produce the wealth so then we can help the poor and the needy and the disabled and the elderly. Because right now what we have is the worst. We have a socialist model of enterprise and a free market spending model. Yeah. We have a regulatory burden on the, on the growth of enterprise. And then the money the government collects is not being spent properly on schools and hospitals and welfare reform and tax reform, where instead it's just being given to people that voted conservative. Yeah. But also, I think, with young people, the, de- the issue with demographic changes, to go back to demographics, is that you have young people now living with their parents. Yeah. Not till they were tw- until they were 27, 28, 20, even living till the 30s because of high house prices, and because deposit thresholds are not been met, and because of regulation on the consumer, but not regulation on the provider. So again, it goes back to the constraints, and the job of the next Labour government is to liberalise those constraints. Yes, keep a deposit threshold. If you eliminate the deposit threshold, you'll go back to 2008. So keep a deposit threshold. Yeah. Have transparency, of course, and have background checks and enforcement regulations enforced but reduce the price of houses or here's an idea build social housing or private non or private non-profit housing and put a price control on it so the house could cost 300,000 pounds but we're not going to take more than 6% of your income for 30 years yeah that's a way of looking at it but let's talk about the future the failures of welfare reform in causing this housing crisis the first and I've alluded to for is the bedroom tax There has been no policy this government have done more punitive and and fucked up in the head than the bedroom tax. Because for those who didn't listen to my welfare reform episode, it's basically the the predilection that if someone you know in your house dies and they leave a spare room, you lose one third of your benefits. Ridiculous. But yeah, some people say, well, good, they shouldn't live there in the first place. Uh, they're human beings. They have every right to live where they want. The right to live and the right to own a property is central to the free society, which the right wing... I mean, it's worried about the right, isn't it? They profess allegiance to free societies, 
But when any aspect of freedom comes up, they're so vehemently opposed to it. The right to own do your what house. Do that thing, not as I do. Exactly. The right to own your house if you're poor. No. The right to get your own health care on the day you want, the time you want, the doctor you want. No. The right to send your child to any school they want. No. That's what they say. But if it's giving a massive tax cut to corporations, yes. Mm. But allowing public school choice so people don't send a, school, a child to the school the local authority says, but the school they know best for their child. No, 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 no. We, we, we want to be constraints. Yeah. Is it? I mean, Gore Vidal famously said that you have socialism for the rich and free enterprise for the poor. Well, uh, I believe. I mean, is that far off from the right right wing philosophy? Socialism for the rich and free enterprise for the poor. That is the right philosophy, right wing philosophy. Yeah. My my solution is very simple: capitalism for the rich and capitalism and the social market for the poor. So the rich can become very rich through the power of the capitalist system. And for the poor and middle class, they enjoy the benefits of a capitalist system, but they also enjoy the benefit of government programs to help them out as well. Whether it's better schools, better hospitals, a reinvigorated welfare system. But let's also, let's also say that the capping and reductions of the housing benefit is also limited ability. You know, the fact that housing benefit is now 20 grand a year. Because that's a lot of money, 20 grand a year. 20 grand a year is just about just about renting in London. Mm, yeah. Well, how much? I mean, 20 grand a year. Maybe just that, about renting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 1,600 quid. If you want like a two or three bedroom flat in London, isn't it? Especially in like not zone much. one, zone, zone one, zone two, it's maybe not, maybe not like in zone five. Oh, yeah, a week, six. not a month. A week. Yeah, so. That, so a week's a month, you fool. Sixteen hundred quid, yeah. A week is James. Sixteen hundred a quid a week is eighty thousand pounds a year. Yeah, for zone one, zone two living in London, yeah. There is no, 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 no I don't think so. All right, let's check. There is absolutely no one on God's earth. It's sixteen hundred pounds yeah, a week. It is. No, it isn't. It is not. In zone 16... one, zone two, London. Zone one, zone two, London. It will. Be. Zone one, it's. Po- Eh, yes, in zone one, it's £1,800 a month. Yeah. A month, Jim Jam. Wait, I don't know what you're looking at there, but... Simplybusiness.co.uk, just typed in. All right, shall we ask ChatGPT? Why is ChatGPT now? ChatGPT knows everything. It's my favourite thing now to use. ChatGPT. My favourite thing on earth. This podcast is not sponsored by ChatGPT, but nor is it sponsored by KW Food Stores before I advertise them on the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. In Zone okay, no, 1 no, and no, Zone 2... No. Zone what? 1, Zone 2... Yeah. Zone 1, Zone 2, yeah. A price for one bedroom flat is £1,750 a month. For one yeah. bedroom flat. Fucking hell, that is extortionate. That is extortionate. But and in Manchester, it, it should be about what eleven hundred a month then. Two bedroom flat, eleven hundred a month. Okay, here you go. Here you go. For a for a for a three bedroom flat in the city centre of London, it's mm. about four grand a month. That's demented. Right? Mm. No, no, I, the figures are valid, but I'm saying that's too high. But again, that's because the house housing benefit cover that it can't. The average price property. In zone one yeah. of the last year, 
Yeah. Well, that is including the extraordinary expense of penthouses, but it's about one hundred twenty-six thousand yeah, yeah. seven. No, one point two six million. Million. By the way, Zone yeah, 1, for those who don't know what we're talking about, who don't understand the London Tube Network, uh, Zone 1, I'm referring to areas like Notting Hill, I'm referring to areas like Bayswater, yeah. areas like Westminster, Charing Cross, Tottenham Court Road. See, I knew my knowledge of the tube system would come at use at some point in this podcast. <laughs> all those all, all those days, all those hours studying the tube map has done me good, even though I'm currently talking to you from my house in Bolton. From the house in Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't been to London in about 16 months. You get you get on the tube every day, though, don't you? And you realise, oh, wait, this isn't the tube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this is a car. As Jeremy Clarkson says, work hard, get a car. The car is better. But actually, also, the one reason the great migration of cities is failing now is because things that people don't want to walk to work and they actually do want to drive to work and drive in comfort. Yeah. And yeah. again, yeah, you know, it's like the cars. Why is it with cars? We have to pay monthly payments. Why can't people just own their cars? You know, they're expensive. I, we're going to do an episode on this podcast. It's going to be called "The Decline of Ownership and the Rise of Dependency." Not, not if you if you want a new decent car, you're looking at about twenty grand nowadays. I'm not, I'm, James. I'm not talking about like a 2023 or 2022 model. I mean, like a 2017, 18 model. But even then, people pay on on higher purchase and and. Uh, well, yeah, because, because I mean, because, I mean, so it can it can go for around about you know, I mean, like decent cars, like a, let's say for instance a Ford Focus or something like that, seventeen, eighteen model. Yeah, yeah. that guys, that, James has just committed his first act of product placement advertising. Yeah, because <laughs> you happen to own a Ford Focus, I, I, oh, I did. That's the case. I did. Yeah. Paid for you by Ford, and just <laughs> no, but no, but that that, that costs about nineteen yeah. grand to buy that model. And uh, it, it costs about like ninety. Mm. It's expensive, though. Fucking hell. Yeah, especially because because it's too expensive now well, to buy a first-hand do... car. Well, why? Well, why can't... It, it's the same. It's the same principle. The same principle because it's too expensive now to buy a new house. Yes. Like it's too expensive to buy a new car. You buy like yeah. one that's been owned before. Yeah, you buy one that's been owned before. Yeah, and the ones that have owned before have all been bought, all been competition with each other, so they're driving up the prices of them as well. But the trouble with used cars is, though, is that it's like used houses. They depreciate in value unless you can, yeah. like, okay, used houses, the principle's not there because you can just do renovations and make it new. But if you're buying yeah. a car that has been bought, say, 2000, made in 2015, but it's a used car, it's going to depreciate quickly in value. But my thesis is, why don't we say with cars, third people having income and car finance and higher finance and all this stuff, why don't they agree to the lender in principle of ownership, but then say they will pay 5% of their income, income-based payments again, so therefore they have ownership, but it's just a monthly instalment until well, I mean, the 19 grand is worked off? I mean, if, if you think about it, you think about it, Dad, yeah. if you do, if you have multiple situations where there are, uh, you know, you, you're a student, you just left university, you're renting a house, and you want to buy a new car to get to your job, yeah? How much is that going to be out of your income each each month? About twenty percent. Exactly. 20%. I mean, do, do people want twenty percent is a huge amount of money? Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Is twenty percent far different from what they're paying now? Really? Mm. Is it? If mm, anything, it'd be maybe. a reduction because if you're on what the maintenance loan is seven and a half grand. By the way, I want to question who wrote the maintenance. First of all, abolish these maintenance loans. Have the maintenance, maintenance loans. loans. The maintenance loans higher now. But, oh. 
How how should we be so lucky? We're increasing the debt people the, owe. The ma- my the my ma- greatest decision with the- universities, my greatest decision when I went to university was I did not take out a maintenance loan. I will not have to take out a penny of debt to my name. And I'm proud of the that. Ma- the maximum amount a maintenance loan can now be yeah. just under 10 grand. So we're going to put people in just under 30 grand of debt. Yeah. On top of the and tw- if you do a master's. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So on top of the 27 grand of debt. So therefore, if you do a master's, you're going to be, so 57,000 pounds times two is 114,000. We're going to put people in 114 grand of debt for the crime of being smart and wanting to learn things. Mm, probably. Ah, the failure of tuition fees, the failure of university financing. We have created a culture. Oh, my God. You know what? We're going to do an episode on the culture of debt. See, this is why I like doing this episode. We, I've thought now just the two new podcasting episodes, the cycle of dependency <laughs> and the culture of debt. James goes, James is basically saying, I'm not going to be there for those episodes because I fear he won't shut up. He's going to do those episodes. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be welcome. Here's Dowd, Karen, and James Rock. Hello, James. Hello. That'll be my entire words. <laughs> it'll be come, it'll, James, do you remember when you did the early US presidents like Nixon and Roosevelt? Oh, yeah. And yeah, I yeah, joked yeah. on Tobin's podcast, they become like sermons. I fear if we do that episode, it'll just be like a two and a half hour sermon on why debt's very bad. <laughs> why we should criminalize the practice of debt and debt should be penalized. We should not have any debt. You should not be dependent. But I figured that episode, if I'm playing in a CLP meeting, would have me kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> but then having said that, half the stuff I've said on this podcast could make a few people, if the CLP didn't already know me as well as they do, it'd make a few of them a bit uneasy. Yeah. James goes, yes, like your constant protestation to capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> right. Come on, then. Uh, let's talk about local socialising. Sorry, which one? Ah, lack, lack of investment in social housing. Okay, yeah. Do what we'll do, do that, is, yeah? we'll do that, you do that, and then I'll merge the quality of existing homes and land prices into one. Okay, that's fine. So, I mean, there, there has been a lack of investment in social housing for quite a while now. So, such as yeah. the massive cuts into social housing expenditures has led to a decline in the quantity of how social housing actual uh, in real life. And this... Lack of investment has led to a broad privatisation and forcing people into private accommodations, which doesn't suit them. Also, the collapse of social housing has led to a reduction in subsidies and massive increases in price, forcing even further privatisation. So, the, so in, I mean, basically, in summary, basically, the, the lack of investment in the government saying, here you go, here, here's some houses which many people can afford. It's not it's different. Social housing and affordable housing are different. Social housing is basically... I would argue maybe the stuff like you see in council states, that, that's social housing. Whilst affordable housing is may, maybe, I would say, a step up, but it should, but both of them should still be found, uh, funded by the government. And the fact that there's even less uh, investment in social housing leads to the fact of there's going to be little to no invest, uh, um, little to no option for the working class to own a house. Sorry, my friend Gary just sent me a post showing the Redfield and Wilton poll We'd like to know how many seats we get in an election, James. Yeah. Go on. 515. Oh, it's close. It's a close one. Labour on 50%, Tories 24, Liberals 19, Reform 6, 7, uh, Greens 5, SP 3. That's Labour 515, Tories 49, SP yeah. 36, Lib Dems 25. Fair play to the Lib Dems. Slowly coming back. 
One Green, No Reform UK. That, by the way, uh, for keen listeners, is the Labour majority of 380. Really? Five six fifty minus five fifteen is one thirty five. Five fifteen minus one thirty five is three eighty. That is weird. what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is, the Tory party on that poll would get one hundred and sixteen seats less than what John Major got in nineteen ninety seven. If the SNP got 13 more, 14 more seats, the Tories would become the third party. And, and what that'd be amazing. The SNP has been getting an extra 13 seats and become the third, the second largest party in the government, which only competes in one country. <laughs> the Tories are condemned to two questions a week. Uh, the opposition, Mr. Stephen Flynn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Off you go, the Tory party. And that means... <laughs> would have been, but that would mean four the ironic, Labour victories, guaranteed. The, the ironic thing is, the ironic thing, yeah. the Houses of Parliament themselves only sit 450 MPs. Which means... Yeah, six, no, no, it doesn't sit 650. It doesn't sit everybody. So, you'd have, like, that means you'd have Labour MPs stuck on the opposition benches. <laughs> the Conservative Party couldn't fill up the entire opposition benches. They wouldn't be able to fill up even one-fifth of the opposition benches. They could barely fill up the government's go, opposition benches. Go. I love about that. It with the Lib Dems just heckling them going, now you know how we no, feel. But, but, it, means, but it, means, it means it's genuinely possible if every single Labour MP wanted to sit in the Houses of Parliament, you know, like the, the day Keir Starmer gets put appointed Prime Minister in the Houses of Parliament. So, you know, obviously, that doesn't happen. But you know what I mean? It's first PMQs. That, that means you'll have Labour MPs majority of the Labour MPs on the opposition side, there'll be more Labour MPs on the opposition side than there will be Conservative MPs. <laughs> oh, that's just brilliant. But yes, back to local council, now we've had a good giggle about the Tory party being condemned to 49 seats in the House of Commons. But I remember the, I think it was the 1995 local elections, they did Peter Snow and on BBC election night, did one of those, and what would this look like in a general election result? Oh no, it wasn't. It was the Dudley West by-election. And it was yeah. like an election. And the Conservative Party, Mr. Major, would have one seat. And, and he would say, it isn't. Because the, actually, the answer would be no seats. But the computer had to take one, so therefore we'd give him one seat in the House of Commons. <laughs> yeah. The computer went, the computer went, nah, just, we can't. <laughs> No, we can't have none. He's got at least one. So like, one MP. Computer... Imagine that. Imagine that. The, comp- the computer pitying the Prime Minister. <laughs> Give him a seat. Give him, Give the him seat. a seat. Be kind to him. And by the way, anyone remembers this? Do you remember, please, that when in 2000, that, to- that Keir Starmer is now averaging a 23 point lead in the polls. Tony in 95 to 97 was averaging about 26 ahead. David Cameron between 08 and 010 was averaging about 10, 12 ahead. Mm. So, someone was saying, is this, I remember, in, in, in 1991, which was the year before, the, the media was saying, this was about the 1992 general election, the year mm. before 91, the year of 91, John Major was leading in half of the polls. Neil Kinnock's biggest lead in 1991 was 6%. Yeah. 
that's how this is much closer to 1997 than 2010 and 92 but but again the lack of social housing investment has contributed first of all to lack of choice because people can't get the safety net which is social properties yeah secondly it's our private providers to mess people up because it's your where can else can you go because the government can't help you and thirdly it's up in 1988 local authority expenditure accounted for one quarter of all central spending it now accounts for one twelfth of central mm. expenditure. That's uh, white horse spending on departments. So the decline yeah. of local investment has led to the decline. I think with the Labour government now coming in, as it's fair to say, we're, prob- we're not going to blow this. We can't blow this. You don't blow being with predicting to have 515 seats in the House of Commons to winning only 250. I wouldn't put it past us for being able to do that. I wouldn't put it past us, but I think we've got a radically different leadership, but a better in my view. Keir, yeah. Rachel Rees, Yvette Cooper, etc. So what you see then, Lisa Nandy as well, and Ed Miliband. Uh, Ed Miliband, who uh, advertising GB Energy, was stood in a windmill with a ukulele talking about how wind turbines are good. I mean, he is the most endearing politician, except for Ken Clark, is Ed Miliband. Anyways... So we're going to see a rise in local expenditure as a percentage of total spending. But the question should be, should it also go on short start? Should it also go on libraries? Should it also go on repaving the roads as well as housing? But social housing, you already had Lisa and Andy at conference commit to it. It's going to be invested heavily. Because if it's not, you're going to see many more people, not just young people our age, but early to middle-aged people, 30s, 40s, who can't get a house. Mm. Now... Um, let's talk about quality existing homes. Well, we can't talk about the quality. We had to, no, we did talk about the existing home quality when we talked about Grenfell and the mould and the fires. But I'll talk about high land prices. This goes back to the planning regulations and the failure of planning regulations. Is that, first of all, the local councils put such a high price on it. Secondly, the market raises it. So it's virtually impossible to buy a plot of land. Unless you can do what some people have done, which is buy yep. a lordship in the Lake District and own that piece of land. Now you're a lord. I, you, you know, generally not kidding though, not kidding, not a word of a lie. You know, yeah. Secret Santa, Secret Santa. Oh, yeah. of course someone's done that. That, 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 was, that was it. Somebody got me that as a gift. Yeah. So I am actually yeah. Lord James of Oxford. Adam got it me for my 19th birthday, so I'm Lord Khan. <laughs> James, you know that means we're legally allowed to change the name of the, the end of the podcast to Lord Roxburgh and Lord Khan. Yes, Dad, but it also legally means that we can't sit in the House of Commons. Oh, so, oh. I mean, well, no, are... no, 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 not necessarily. Because if we agree to renounce our peerage on the day of our election, then we are not in the House of Commons. It's a peerage bill. True, true, true. It's how Tony Benn got to become an MP after he, after he inherited Viscount Stansgate's peerage, hereditary that was. He then, 1963, renounced his peerage and became an MP again. And partly yeah. because Sir Alec Douglas Hume, who was also a peer of the House of Lords, who they made Prime Minister, had to renounce his peerage to become the MP for Kinross and West Persia in 1963. So I think the Tory party figured out, yes, all right, all right, fine. Because we're so useless, we're going to have to put take a Prime Minister from the House of Lords, if elected into the safest seat in the country, and make him Prime Minister. <laughs> and then a year later, we, I mean, okay, I'll tell you one more anecdote, then we'll come on to planning regulations, is that when, in 1964, Harold Wilson won the majority of four seats, mm. our Foreign Secretary, Patrick Gordon Walker, lost his seat in Smethwick 
Yeah. The day he won the election, Wilson still appointed him the foreign secretary. Yeah. So for five months, we had a foreign secretary who did not answer to the House of Commons. <laughs> it's such a smart tactic as well. No, I don't yeah. listen to you. <laughs> no, it's not like going. And of course, he then he fought Leighton in '65, lost it for Labour, and then he had to resign the Foreign Office and then became Minister of Education a year later when Labour won in '66 and he won Leighton back. But that's fascinating. That for five months, we had a Foreign Secretary who didn't answer answer one question in the House of Commons because he wasn't a member of the House of Commons. <laughs> Anyways, but <laughs> so yeah. But by the way, Yeah. I need to go in 10 minutes, so should we go into our solutions instead? All right, I'll say this. So due to planning regulations, prices are so high anyways, that even if you can afford to buy a house, they then create another 75 regulatory procedures that prevent you from buying a house in the first place. So therefore, the ability for home construction firms to build houses is next to impossible due to high prices and high regulations. We'll fix those two problems. Uh, Yeah, okay. Do you know what? You can do your solution, and I'll do my solution by answering the questions. Okay. Okay, so I mean, I've got a seven-point plan because I'm because I'm too lazy to write out a solution myself. Even though I'm a wandering, I even though I'm a wandering ideas factory, I can't be bothered to put my solutions to paper unless it's writing my book. <laughs> well, I've got I've got basically a seven-point plan. <gasps> Should I read my book out? You know the book How the Pie Gets Power, where I put the housing crisis solutions down. Should I read those aloud? No, no, I'll answer the questions with more detailed responses. It can't just be housing savings account and build more quarter of a million more houses. Wait, okay, did, I so... put, is, is, did I put the word? Okay, I got rid of it. Okay. Okay, so point one, which is basically for me, is to increase the supply of affordable housing. I mean, this basically involves increasing yeah. the availability for the housing, blah, 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 blah. Pretty self-explanatory. Now, basically, so what you need to do is, uh, is about basically you need to increase funding to local authorities to build new social housing and council uh, homes, encourage private developers to build affordable homes through incentives such as tax breaks or grants, uh, mm. implement rent controls to ensure that prices are affordable for renters, and convert unused commercial buildings and other structures into affordable housing. Now, mm. um, also, also you probably need to increase the availability of public land for affordable uh, housing development as well. Mm. Um, also, also, what is a key point to mention is that you need to also introduce a. I would introduce a progressive property tax. Now, this is this idea involves implementing yeah. a tax system based on a prop value property. So, higher value properties and multiple property ownership should should be subject to higher tax rates, while lower mm. value properties. Should be taxed at the lower rate. Now, this now this in itself is only is only linked to people who own more than two houses. Um, so if anybody owns more than two mm. houses, then then it will be implemented. So basically, it, it basically okay. uh, it's a tiered tax system based on value properties. It increases mm. tax rates for the highest value properties and so on and so forth. And you would use a revenue generated solely for what would that be financing? The use of the revenue. Uh, generated from the progressive property tax would solely be used to fund affordable houses initiatives. That that's exactly what it'd be used for. Now, also, would you be abolishing the council tax? Would you replace that? Um, would you use that system to replace council tax? Use the council tax. Yeah. Well, then how are you going to finance the Shaw Star centres, the roads, the library constructions, the schools? I said I would use it. I'm going to get rid of it. Do a bit silly to get rid of it. All right, I'll keep going. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'll stop shouting. <laughs> <Right. at you. laughs> So also, like, I'll say, innovation. 
Now stop shouting, that's an innovation. Uh, so basically, I would regulate the private rental market as well, something that we discussed. Um, mm. So the idea involves introducing measures to regulate the private rental market to protect renters from unfair evictions and rent hikes and unfair and like or unsafe property. So oh, I'd yeah. introduce longer tenancies to provide greater stability for, for renters. I'd implement rent controls to prevent unaf- unaffordable rent increases. Mm. I'd increase the availability of affordable rental properties through social housing initiatives. Uh, and also introduce stronger protection for renters in, against eviction and rent hikes. Uh, tenants um, Bill of Rights. As, yeah, the Tenants Bill of Rights, basically. So, something like basically, only no fault. I mean, no fault means one thing. We have in this country no fault evictions. Here's what no fault evictions are if your landlord wants to kick you out of your property, they can do that without a reason. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, I know. So, also. I would increase access to affordable credit. Now, this idea involves... Uh, this idea... Expl- pro- explain pro- yourself. <laughs> so this basically, for the listeners who don't know, is basically the idea involved involve providing assistance to those who can't access affordable credit to buy their houses at home. So I provide low-interest loans to first-time buyers, introduce shared ownership schemes to uh, enable uh, people to uh, buy a share of a property and pay rent on the rest. And I'll provide assistance to renters to help them save for a deposit. Go on, Dad. I'm ready for you. <laughs> Jesus. For your lack of proposal, which is now going to come from your head. Right. There's two ends you're going to fix this from. The supply end, the demand end. Here's how you fix the supply end. First, you have a home construction tax credit, where you say, whatever you build, if you're a home construction firm, every house you build, Tell us your annual profit, your annual taxation liability, sorry, and we will rebate you for 25% of your tax liability. So if you make, say, £25 million of profits, your tax liability is £5 million, we will give you a million pound exemption from that tax. The second thing you do to fix supply, liberalise public and private land, not uh, parks and stuff like that, but public and private unused land for the sole purpose of housing construction. If it's public land, use it for council house building and non-profit house building. If it's private land, allow it to be privately run, privately built, but with strict regulation, regulatory oversight, so the public can, so the government can see if the house is being built according to the date. Thirdly, to fix construction issues, get to a point where you deregulate the means of construction. Pet, local construction firms should not spend five years or four years filling out paperwork for bureaucracy. Another way, expand local housing firms. Instead of having six housing firms that own the construction market, have 600. So that way you can yeah. build more houses without uh, conspiracy and coordination. That fixes that problem. Sixth, if there is a person, a certain provider that isn't building houses to the quality we outline it should be, the state should then nationalise that company, take it over and allow them. And then the government yeah. and the Department of Housing should then build the houses instead, or at least a local council that should be their authority with Department of Housing oversight. Now, for yeah. the um, and also bring back the housing targets so we build 300,000 homes a year because then if you have a supply that is greater than demand, the price falls. So, the demand side have a tenant's bill of rights. Outlaw no-fault evictions. Abolish the bedroom tax. Link rent increases to the price of the change CPI, inflation. Uh, change the method of payments to a six to a 10% income-based subsidy 
So if you're sorry, income based repayments. So if you're on thirty grand a year, you only pay after taxes. So that's twelve and a half. 12 and a half, 17, three and a half, 26. You only pay £2,650 a year in your renting costs. That's another solution. Have a system which focuses on where if the tenant says this electrical appliance is not working or this cable looks bizarre, the landlord has to repair it. If the landlord does constantly disabuses the tenant, we have a three strikes in your house system with the landlord. So if the landlord messes up three times with the tenant, then the landlord loses their property, and that becomes a social uh, social house with what we'd say a uh, tenant ownership. It's basically John Lewis style model for social housing. That's another thing. I, I do I do something different in that situation. So 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 what I do so what I do obviously you say you say three strikes and you're out of the landlord. What I would do is allow landlords to keep that property. Um, yeah, but I would I would give tenants the right to sue landlords who fail to provide safe and habitable living conditions. I would increase the availability mm. of legal aid for tenants facing eviction or other issues. Mm. Oh yeah, like this that. is a good this is a good one. This and is a good also, one. I would introduce landlords, greater regulation and oversight of landlords yeah. to ensure they meet obligations. Yes, this is a good one. Landlords shouldn't be allowed to evict tenants without a clear reason why that is legally yeah. provable factually provable and if any landlord malfactures evidence suppresses key facts or ignore or purges of in the court that landlord is sent to prison and that tenant is allowed to stay in their house you make it virtually unless the landlord unless the tenant is clearly clearly being a nuisance or clearly missing on rent payments yeah. those liquors you mean kick someone out but you make it virtually impossible another thing you can do uh, to improve tenants' quality, here's what you do. Able-bodied tenants, you make contingency of work or contingency of, of tr job training central to them living in their property. This is another thing you have to do. This would encourage work amongst people, along with linking unemployment compensation to a job training programme. Another thing you have to do, increase local authority budgets by at least 50%, so, the ha so homeless people are put in shelters temporarily and then given a flat or a house. You end the rough sleeping problem. Another thing you can do is you have to look at finding ways of making contingency of property contingent on responsibility. So mm -hmm. if a family is taking drugs, they can't stay in that flat. If a family has you know got problems with the husband or what the partner, they can't stay in that flat. They go to treatment. If there is somebody who's on welfare, we have to have oversight, so ensuring that the person on welfare is seeking work, and if they can't seek work, then we put them in social housing. If they're disabled or too young or too elderly, etc., we put them under social housing so we can take better care of them than private box tickets could. So you do this yeah. model, you, and then what happens also, along with deregulation of planning laws, is you allow people to buy homes. You reduce the deposit level to 5%. But you have regulatory checks to ensure the person can actually pay the five percent, and if not, we look at some form of subsidy. But the key yeah. then is is you expand the ability for home ownership. Is if you do the income based payment not just to, to flats but to homeowners as well, you will greatly expand the home ownership. And also, and last thing, the failure we talked about, we've talked occasionally about council house privatization in 1984. Council house privatization had the right intention, the worst outcome though. The intention was let people own their property instead of the state. The issue was they did not let people own their own properties. They allowed private landlords to own the property. So again, the thesis of dependence. So what I do is I'd have 
private construction of these houses, but government regulation of the house. What you need to do is basically go to a sort of like a tenant ownership model. So the tenant owns three fifths of the house and the landlord owns two fifths of the house in terms of sh in terms of legal rights. So therefore yeah. you have tenants actually becoming owners and not just uh, dependents on the, the benefits of higher ups. Now, uh, James, is that, is that, are those cranky measures, James? No, I think they're reasonable measures there. I think they're reasonable measures. She's glad I didn't talk more about tenant dereg uh, deregulation of planning laws. <laughs> we'll go further on those next week. Yes, that's all we're going to call next week's episode. The sen sensible deregulation. Is there any such thing? Oh my God, yes. That would be quite can, a good episode. Can deregulation ever be sensible, or is it a myth? Myth. Wait, all of them are restriction regulation. So in some areas, yeah. it's deregulation. Yeah. yeah, some areas you need to regulate more, some areas you regulate less, some areas you need to clarify what the regulation actually means, yeah. and look at that rather than just blanket deregulation. Yeah. All right, that's the end of today's episode. I felt it's better. But if I go back and listen to it, I may hear myself mumbling along. James no, is going to get a text. Fine. James is going to have to come out and see. He's thrown himself on the pavement again. Guys, guys. <laughs> he's done it again. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I can make those type of jokes. because yeah. Anyways, uh, but I will be very <laughs> I remember I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, there are certain things that if anyone else had endowed, Everyone will be horrified. You say them, and it's just you being you. I yeah, said, what does that mean? Dark. He goes, utterly obnoxious, but utterly likeable as well. I said, fair enough, I'll take both of us. I said, you can't be two of the same things, but fair enough. Um, <laughs> but that's this week's episode. I've actually enjoyed this episode. We've done it, done it totally. We've gone back to the original purpose of the podcast, talk about issues, not talk about my latest sperm for bipartisanship or my latest rampage at the Republicans or Tories. Yeah. Next week, we actually are going, we are going to do the regulation episode talks about the idea of dependency or we'll look at something like rebuilding our transport networks. We're going yeah. to think totally on the ideas now. Occasionally we'll do a history episode, but last year was history. This year, full on, let's look at the problem, analyse it yeah. together. All Hist right, that I presume history episodes will only happen and there's a major, major historical event that yeah. happened. Yeah, 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 precisely. If it's like the ending of the Cold War in 1989-1991 and the unraveling of the Soviet Union, maybe, you know, something to look at. Maybe episode of the Great Society, we'll talk about that. But mm -hmm. I want to make you focus on the ideas. Maybe you have a history episode, James, interesting. Or if I do, of course, we're going to do it. Uh, next Sunday, so you go back to our old format of Sunday evenings. Sunday evening, next week, we will be back on the air. Now that Mr. Roxburgh has finished his mocks, he and I are going out on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, no stalking. No, no one's allowed to know. Uh, no, that sounds even worse, Christ. <laughs> worse. Oh, no, no. The only way I can make this worse is now by t no. I'm not. I'm not. I can't make this any worse. No, I can, but I'm not going to. I can, but I'm <laughs> not going to. Uh, right. So we'll discuss an idea for the episode, and I'm going to actually look, look an idea of doing a question episode. We'll do a special episode where, on my interim story, I advertise what questions will judge ask us. P.S. Stupid questions not permitted. Thank you. <laughs> right. Until next Sunday, have a good evening, everyone. Bye-bye.